So we're going to be looking at Habakkuk, but before we do that, we're going to say a prayer. And then we're going to have our scripture. And we're going to get going. Let's pray. Oh Lord, our God, we come before you waiting to hear from a word from you. We know that you have so many words for us, but this morning, what is it? This morning, what do we need to hear? This morning, where do we find ourselves in your story? This morning, where are we? In your name we pray, amen. Habakkuk is another minor prophet. Last week, if you were here, we learned about the prophet Joel. Stay tuned, next week is Haggai. (laughs) I'm the associate pastor of preaching all of the passages that no one else wants to preach. Just kidding. (laughs) Habakkuk has a time period, unlike uh, Joel last week, didn't really have tons of a time period, but Habakkuk actually has a time period. And we see this, and it doesn't mean that it doesn't have words for us today. See, one of the biggest correlations that we can not make is that we think that things happened back then, and they don't affect us now. And so today we're going to think about three different historical periods, okay? So I want you to always follow along with me. We've got the time of Habakkuk, We've actually got the Reformation, which happened 499 years ago, today, or tomorrow. (laughs) And then we also have today. These are the three different time periods that I'm going to be painting a picture of. And if you already know a lot about these different time periods, you paid attention in history class. And I love that. So if you have more pieces of information, we'll ask for some shout outs later. But the point of Habakkuk is that we hate waiting now, we're talking about in and out lines. We're talking about going to the dentist's office, and the dentist's office is the worst because you actually hear the in the background in the dentist's office. That waiting is really awful. What other kinds of waiting do you have in your life? Perhaps you've been waiting for a phone call from a doctor's office. Perhaps you've been waiting alone with a friend. Perhaps you've been waiting for what? Waiting is a hard thing to do. Now, the people in the time of Israel, they weren't just waiting an in and out line. They were waiting for a long time, sometimes years, sometimes generations. We hear in Exodus that they waited for 40 years. And these Israelites are past that in a different time period, but they are waiting also. Not quite a generation, but it's a long time. Where, O oh Lord, are you? the scripture says today. And this people are in exile. They're outside their normal home. And their story becomes our story. They actually say this. If you had gone to Jewish rabbinical school or if you had been um, going to Jewish kids school, you would know that they don't actually talk about them and they and their story They actually say things like, our story, we were led out of Egypt into the promised land. We were led by Moses. And so is the story for today. We are in exile. The thing you miss if you disconnect yourself from the scripture is that you don't find yourself in the story. You think it's a fanciful story of people, of things that happened long time ago. But the story of Habakkuk is actually our story today. So let's read it. Am I going to read it off my paper? 
it might seem more clear. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 1 through 4, and you'll notice that we're then going to skip to chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not listen, or cry to you, violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see wrongdoing and look to trouble? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law becomes slack and justice never prevails. The wicked surround the righteous and therefore judgment comes forth perverted. I will stand at a watch post and station myself on that rampart. I will keep watch to see what he will say to me and what he will answer concerning my complaint. Then the Lord answered me and said, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so that a runner may read it. It's hard to run with tablets. What was he talking about? Anyway, for there is still a vision for the appointed time. It speaks to the end. It does not lie. If it seems to tarry, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Look at the proud. Their spirit is not right in them, but the righteous, they live by their faith. This is the word of the Lord. The Assyrians have conquered the people of Judah. The Babylonians are on the forefront of reconquering the people of Judah. They see violence, they see destruction, they felt it, and they know it's pending again. Where, O oh Lord, are you? Amidst this power struggle, who is going to save us? How is it going to happen? God, are you listening? Can you hear my cry? Why does my brother, why do my mother, my father, why are they gone? We hurt so bad. God, we're waiting. What is your word? Tell us now. It's this setting that we find ourselves in, in Habakkuk. And there are four questions that the people want to say, and Habakkuk verbalizes, and you might not have heard them because this is maybe the first time you've ever heard the scripture. God, are you listening? And God and Habakkuk are in a dialogue with one another, and you hear it back. God actually then says back to the people, are you listening? Have you taken the time and the space and the silence to listen to my word for you? What a different posture to be in, to not just cry out to the Lord, although that is an important place to be. God, are you listening? But also couple it with, I'm listening, God. What is your word for me today? We also hear the question, How long do we have to wait, Lord, so you can completely fix this problem? Now, we saw that there was power and domination. And in what ways would this power and domination completely eradicate and fix the problem? But God's actually wanting us to be in a posture to not worry about the timing. We're sitting here with our clock like we expect it to be as short as the line of the DNV. That's a long time. 
But even longer than that, God wants us to not be so concerned with the time. It's God's time. And so when we're focused not on the time and how long it actually takes to endure this, but what could we focus on? Let's couple that together. And then Habakkuk is asking the question, what does move the hand of God? And we know the answer to that because we've wrestled with it. God moves God's hand when God wants to move. God's hand is moved how God's hand is moved. We are not determinants of that. Our cries and our shouts, their cries and their shouts, they were there. But do they affect God or does it change our posture? Simply being able to speak, understanding God's timing, and then remembering God moves in God's time. And the last thing, what shall I do while I wait? Perhaps the most important question we can be asking. We can't just sit by and let other people continue to take over. We can't just sit by and do nothing. What is it, the thing that you do in order to balance the time? Sitting and waiting with a friend for a doctor to call is one of the longest moments of my life. Sitting to hear the response of my grandfather when he was alive, he had Alzheimer's and he wasn't always there. The blank space was so hard. Just sitting and being there and waiting, what is it that we do? How is it that we do it? Oh my, our world of technology has quickened our minds to want more and be very impatient in this time of while we wait. The people of Habakkuk's time had their time. They felt an oppressive power upon them and they didn't know what to do, but they were asking themselves these questions. Now today we are celebrating 499 years of the Reformation, hence why we had the Pasadena Scots, because it started around Europe, Western Europe. One of the main characters was Martin Luther, one of the main characters was John Calvin, and it went on from there, there's many of them. Now the Protestant Reformation, just a little bit of history, come along with me. So there was the Catholic Church, and they were a wonderful church, and big and robust, and had been the church ever since the beginning. That's what it was, the disciples were the beginning of that, and it developed itself into councils and tribunes, and became itself the Catholic Church. But an entity so large and made up of people wasn't far from corruption. And so the Protestants were the people who were protesting against the Catholics. That's how we get our name. And we Presbyterians are part of the Protestants. So are the Lutherans and the Episcopalians and the Methodists. We're all lumped together. But at this point in history, it was very important to think that they were protesting. Now, it's about reformation, not restoration. I think that's the thing the Catholic Church always thought it was going to be. Let's just restore the Catholic Church back to its origins. Let's get back to the roots. But that's not how it goes. Because a restoration is what you do to a piece of um, like wooden hardware. You fill in the holes, you sand it down, you paint it over, and it looks great. 
But what you do with a reformation is completely transform the person and the people and the thing that it is. I liken it to a criminal. A criminal, you definitely don't just want to restore them back to their original state because they might do it again, but you want to reform them. The Protestant Reformation was a correction, a removal of the defects. And so we have Reformation Day on October 31st, 1517. So next year, big celebration, 500 years. It started with this guy, Martin Luther. And he went up to the door of Wittenberg, which he was a priest at, and he nailed 95 theses, doctrines, problems, questions that he had of the church. But it starts before that, though Luther is the main character that we always hear about. You see, there was Bishop Albert of Brandenburg, and he was in charge of not just one bishopric, but two bishoprics, was already a corruption, because you could only be in charge of so many people. Imagine if I was the pastor of all of not only San Marino, but also of South Pasadena. That's a lot of churches, that's a lot of people. But he wanted power. He got more power hungry, and he wanted a third bishopric. And so then he had to talk to Pope Leo X. You might remember him. He's the guy that uh, commissioned Michelangelo to paint the Sistine Chapel. That's about the time that we're thinking about. And so he struck a deal, and for 10,000 ducats, I have no idea how many ducats that is or how much cash that is, he was able to be in charge of these three bishoprics. The greatest archbishop, corrupt as he was. But all of his money was tied up in land. Now you see where I'm going? He needs some fluid cash. And so he gets this one guy who happens to be really good at devising jingles. His name was Monk Tetzel. And he made this jingle to sell indulgences. Who's heard of the word indulgence? That's definitely like right out of 10th grade history class. I like it. Back row over there. They all know. Indulgences were these things that you literally bought with your money, a piece of paper that absolved you of your current sin and also your past sins and also your future sins. And get this, you could even absolve your relatives, past or future, of their sins also. All you needed was money. The Catholic Church had been corrupt. And this was the place that they're in. You see, in Habakkuk's time, it was people of power putting pressure on people without power. In the time of Reformation, people of power were corrupting people without power. Using, abusing, and yes, there was violence and there was destruction, whether it be physical or whether it be mental and spiritual. This was the place. And so Luther, Martin Luther, he was troubled by this. And he did what any scholar would do. He didn't raise up his sword. He raised up his pen. And he penned his 95 theses. And he made sure that on this particular day, now these events, 
it seems like they're a little bit on the random side, but he made sure that his 95 theses were up there on All Hallows' Eve, Halloween as we call it today, which back in the day they celebrated a little bit more like ghosts and goblins would come and have a party, and then the next day was All Saints' Day, November 1st. We celebrate these things still today in a very different way, but still celebrate. He knew that All Saints' Day was a very important day in the church, and so everybody would be there. The whole town would be there and see these 95 theses. The number one thesis that he put was, Christ calls us to wholly repent. Now we get that today, but they didn't get that back then. Get this, this is the setting that they're in. Most people didn't read English because they couldn't read. Most people, well, it was actually German, but (laughs) anyway, you get what I'm talking about. So the problem was is they weren't actually reading the scripture. We have Bibles. How amazing is that? We can dive into it. And so Luther was figuring these things out for the first time for everybody. Just the year before was released the Greek New Testament. And so people could actually take the Greek and translate it into other languages that were more of their heart. And we all know that translating things can be a tricky thing, and sometimes when you translate one word into another language, it loses its meaning. It actually changed the entire doctrine of the Catholic Church. Just the year before, Luther, who knew German and Latin and also English and Greek and Hebrew, he was the man. He saw that there was a Greek word for repentance, which a quick translation, and in the Latin Vulgate, which was the one that they were using, they translated it to do penance. Repentance doesn't mean do penance, but that's how the Catholic Church had translated it. And I'm not trying to put a bad rap on them, but you can see where the theology was going to go very wrong. And so do penance was something that people felt like they needed to do in this waiting period. And God calls us not to just do things in the waiting period. By indulgences, do things? No, it's about grace. The entirety of what we are as Protestants and what we have been celebrating for the past 499 years is that we don't have to do penance. We don't have to say Hail Marys. We don't have to go and confess to a particular person. We can be there. We can confess right now. We confess to our spouses. We confess to our families. We don't just do penance. We are repentant. And our theology is backed by that. And doesn't it feel wonderful to have an overwhelming sense of grace come upon you because of that? Not only did the Greek New Testament come out the year before, Luther had enough time to study it all, make these grand changes in the Reformation, but the printing press was also created right about this time. The word was spread to everyone. What an amazing time to be able to live in, to have your eyes opened. Did you hear in Habakkuk where he was He was listening for God and he stood himself on the ramparts. 
I haven't stood on a rampart in a while, but if you have stood on a rampart, it's the part of the castle where between the two towers so that you can be on one tower and you can be safe and then you can walk along it. It's a watching point. They usually put castles not in a valley. They put them on top of a hill so that you could see. Waiting for God. Watching for God. Listening for God. Luther was standing there. Waiting for God, watching for God, listening for God. And God spoke. And God used Luther. And we know that's not the end of the story for Habakkuk and the people. We know that's not the end of the story for Luther. And it's certainly not the end of the story for us. But have we put ourselves in a place of posture where we are on a rampart, waiting and watching? and listening. Watching for the action of the Lord and listening for the Lord, it will send us into action. Amen and amen.